I'll be reading from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Maybe. <laughs> Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. From where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and God and good fruits, impartial, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Continually amazed at your word. Just a few short verses, how much uh, richness and wisdom for practical living that's rooted in our relationship with you is packed into these verses today. Pray that you would help us not to make, to read anything into them that's not there, but to not pass over anything that may cause a wound, but even a healthy wound when you expose uh, sinful attitudes, sinful patterns in our life. Help us all today to honor your word. Thank you for wisdom, for just the gift, not only of salvation, saving us, of bringing us from death to life, but in doing that, of giving us the ways that we should act in obedience. Not just knowledge, but acting in obedience. And so I pray that we would see that today as we look at this passage in James. Help us to look to you always for wisdom in Jesus name amen you can be seated in my uh, first seminary class it was elementary Greek and I had never had even a foreign language in, in my life <laughs> so it was an interesting experience for me it was uh an interesting place to dive into seminary for someone who had no theolog formal theological education. The first day of class, the, uh, the professor told us that we would have a test the next time we met, which was really once a week. And the test was this. We were going to write out the Greek alphabet in one minute. And I thought, that's no big deal. You know, I can do that in a week. So it was a test. I failed to be diligent in my preparation for that test. 
And I've never seen a minute go by so fast as it did that next Monday morning. I think I got to uh, the row, which is like the R or something like that. I didn't do very well. It was a test to see where I was. Well, James really here lays out this serious series of tests in his book. Uh, test of obedience, test of impartiality, test of works, test you saw last week of taming the tongue. And James began early in his letter encouraging believers to faithfully ask for wisdom. And here he returns to wisdom as a test. As you saw last week at the beginning of the passage, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, in the beginning of, of chapter 3. This is primarily for teachers, but it's not only for teachers. Uh, it's for the church. It's for also for all believers. So he's talking about wisdom. Wisdom. It's hard to kind of put your finger on what wisdom is. You know, if you Google this, and please don't pull out your device and do it now, okay? By the way, side note, something I learned for you guys who have uh, went on youth trip this week and, and part of some training that adults were exposed to is there's something called Gen Z. It's, it's children who are born between 1995 and 2015. Something very interesting is that that is the first generation whose parents are addicted to their devices. So... Uh, more is cough and talk, parents. Just a little side note there. But don't, don't Google that right now. But if you Googled, who are the wisest people in the world? If you just put that in the Google line and searched, you get a list that says something like this, the 20 smartest people in the world. Or phrases like most intelligent. Things that have to do with mental knowledge and, and knowing things mentally. That is the world's idea of wisdom. It's not what James is talking about at all here. But it often can creep into our thinking. It can creep into our thinking about how we see others, and it can creep into our own thinking and allow us to, to even become puffed up, to have arrogance come into our lives because we have supposedly some knowledge that, that other people don't have. We're all susceptible to this. James is not talking about that kind of wisdom. Godly wisdom is quite something different than this we hear in proverbs that the fear of the lord is the beginning of all wisdom but fear in this context is not the fear one has of an enemy it's, it's honor and love for the lord such fear is manifested in reverence and awe, and this disposition to apply it's a big word today apply what god has revealed in order to live a life that pleases him in gratitude for his salvation that he gives us. So here's a diagnostic question, really, that we can look at at the beginning today that James really puts before us. Does your life demonstrate the presence of God's wisdom? That's the test. James tells us what godly wisdom does not look like, and then he says what it does look like. But even in his diagnostic question, the beginning of the passage he lets us know that this will absolutely not look like the world's idea of wisdom verse 13 who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct that's applying let him show his works in the 
meekness of wisdom. Meekness. Don't, don't miss that word there. Uh, this word meekness, some have described it as, as power under control, not looked upon favor, favorably in the, in the period which this was written. Lots of times not looked on favorably today. If you, if you have knowledge, you use it to gain the upper hand. That's the worldly wisdom. But James is saying that. This He's saying, remember, he wrote this not far removed from Jesus' earthly ministry. And Jesus, who himself is wisdom revealed, said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who are meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So if it's power under control, what power do we hold that we should be careful how we use? What power do we possess? Look back, you can just flip back, verse, uh, oh, just one, chapter 1, verse 5. The first, at the introduction where he's talking about wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who will give generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him then jump down to verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, what? The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The word, the word of God, the spoken, revealed, infallible, inerrant, sufficient word of God that we hold. But James is saying, we use it with, with meekness, a wisdom from the word. The, the revealed word of God, this is our source of power. So we read his word, we read it with a hungry, moldable spirit. This is a wisdom that transcends the purely human nature. It, it seeks the good of others in all circumstances. Even when we're being attacked sometimes. To the glory of God, and it often means not using verbal power or knowledge or anything else that you might have in order to gain an advantage with people. This meekness, this wisdom that's tempered with meekness. If you have a real relationship with Christ, you're going to understand that there is something far more important than any position or any standing that you might obtain here in this world. It's, it's, and, and Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, he says, I press toward, not toward make, trying to make, get people to think I'm something. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. There's a prize. The prize is not earthly praise. The prize is not that feeling of knowing you're the smartest guy in the room. The prize is the upward call of Christ Jesus. So that's the wisdom we're talking about. So what, what does immaturity look like? What does an imitator of true wisdom look like? James breaks it down so practically for us in these verses. I want, I want us to see four marks of false or worldly wisdom but I want to caution each of you and caution myself this morning. See the scripture as a mirror here. Allow the spirit this morning to search you. 
to know your heart, to try you and to know your thoughts, to see if there's any grievous way in you and lead in the way everlasting. The reason I say that is so many times we come to passages like this and we read them and we start to think about people or certain um, instances in our past or something like that. And we're not exposing ourselves sometimes to the word of God. So we want us to be very careful to allow God's word to do work in our heart this morning. Four marks of, of worldly or false wisdom. The first is jealousy and selfish ambition. Ambition, that's, that's zeal. This zeal, but it's a zeal that underneath it all seeks promotion of self. And it leads to bitterness toward others who may be getting attention inevitably. Our, our zeal needs to be for God and it, it will transform this selfishness that we're all prone to. We may be believers in Christ, but that doesn't mean the, the, the proneness to wander, the proneness to sin, the proneness to be selfish is not there. It'll transform our selfishness into truly seeking the good for others. I want to also notice something very quickly. This is good for the body, for the, the church body. He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambitious, ambition in your hearts, so I want to stop there. The, the word your, in the, the grammar of that is plural. He's, he's talking to all of them. But he says, in your hearts, actually the word hearts is actually singer, singular. So the problem that's within the singular individual becomes the problem of the, the body. We are members of one body, the body of Christ. And so if, if we are uh, exhibiting jealousy and selfish ambition, it's going to affect the body. I want, I want us to see that. The second thing, uh, a mark of worldly or false wisdom, is an arrogance, an arrogance that lies against the truth. So whatever claims he has in his arrogance that he may make, all he does is to be false to the truth when he claims to teach. Here's what happens. The person may be doing the right thing for the wrong reason. There's a narrow dividing line. The motive, the deeds and words done simply and solely in the end for what can be gotten out of it. That is the person who is exhibiting false wisdom. He has a knowledge. He's able to speak it, but he's, he's only doing it for what he can get out of it. It's a selfish aspect of that. One theologian said it this way, one of the most difficult things in the world is to argue without passion and to meet arguments without wounding. To get the arrogance out of the way, to get yourself out of the way when, when, when there is, is any kind of conflict or any kind of discussion where there's disagreement. A third mark of worldly or false wisdom uh, is that it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. And you could say that there's a progression here from the least to the worst. He talks about it's earthly, meaning it's a wisdom that, that fails to consider God's realm, fails to consider God's will is blocked in by only the, the, the knowledge of this world. 
So picture this. You're having a conversation with someone, maybe a, a conversation with yourself. Uh, and I don't know if you ever have those, but I do. But it's about a life situation that really requires some wisdom in it. And then the comment is, is, is this, something like, well, it, it, it just looks to me like this. It just looks to me, you know, here's the logical thing in my mind, somebody who's blocking out what God's word says about a particular situation. Or uh, perhaps it's like this. Well, well, here's what I was always taught. I was always taught this. And it's said in such a way that that tradition is what rules the day. That's an earthly wisdom. Traditions are not in and of themselves always bad, but tradition, uh, is it based on Scripture? So that's very important. It's very important because tradition, as we learn when we study the Reformation especially, can so easily creep into our wisdom thought. It can become the thing that we lean on more than we lean on the Word of God. That's an earthly wisdom. It's not allowing the, the supernatural power of, of God's Word to speak into it. Then there's the, the, the natural, which is the, the meaning of the word natural here is the kind of wisdom that, that relies on human feelings that says, well, this is what I feel like God may be telling me to do here. It's the natural wisdom. It's the kind of wisdom that says, makes a person say, I think God told me to leave, leave my spouse. It's controlled by our feelings. It's not based on the word of God. Or maybe I feel like God is telling me to do this. I feel like that's not based on what he has, has revealed to us through scripture. And then lastly, he says, demonic. What we need to realize is, is that all wisdom, apart from God's wisdom, ultimately is from the devil. Ultimately, he is working out a plan to oppose God in any way that he possibly can. And that sounds heinous, this, this word demonic, but we should remember that, that he, Satan appears as an angel of light. And he loves to come into the back door of our lives. He loves to slip in in ways that, that we may not notice and, and plant unwise thought covered in a cloak of something that, that, that is, portrays itself as wisdom. So that's a mark of, of worldly and false wisdom. The last one is, is that there's disorder and every evil thing. This is contrary to God, to, con to his wisdom. 1 Corinthians 14 1433 tells us that God is not the author of confusion. God is the author of order. That also sounds pretty drastic of disorder in every evil thing. It's foundational that, that here's something to, that might make it, help us to understand what, what James is saying here. You know, we understand total depravity of man. We understand that because of sin, first of Adam and then in all of mankind who followed, that there's no area of our life that's not affected by sin. Just like Michelle prayed before. So total depravity, though, does not mean that we will always be as bad as we possibly could be, right? That's not the meaning of it. It just means that all of our life is infected by sin. 
But rather than in a separated state from God, we're bound by, we're controlled by a sin nature when we don't know Jesus Christ. Well, in a similar sense here, uh, this phrase, every evil thing, does not mean that the one who is practicing false wisdom is just doing everything they can to search out evil. But rather, that, that all of their goals, all of their goals ultimately even though it may not appear this way on the surface, have nothing to do with glorifying God, but rather are, are concerned with self-promotion. So James did not write these things so that we can feel good about ourselves and, and point at others who we know are practicing a false wisdom, but he gives them to us so that, first of all, as a test, so that we can know that we are in Christ, and secondly, so that we can guard against these things that so easily infiltrate our lives by practicing true wisdom and infiltrate's a good word because false wisdom comes cloaked sometimes it, it, it doesn't look like something that's horrible, something that's terribly worldly it creeps in so what is true wisdom? well, I want you to notice that the, these marks are we're going to go through some of these pretty quickly but I want you to notice they're not particularly like intellectual. They're not particularly ideological or or theoretical. They're practical. They have to do with the way that we live, the way that we take the nature of God and apply it to our lives and live it out. So here's what we see. God's wisdom in our life is is faithful, it's practical, it's Christ-centered obedience it's doing what God has commanded us to do for his glory and our good and not shrinking back from it so let's look at those some of those in, in, I want to read this text just so we'll, we'll gather them um, the wisdom beginning in verse 17 the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable gentle open to reason full of mercy good fruits impartial and sincere and the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace and so the first thing that, that, that James says this is the overarching mark of godly wisdom is pure it's without blemish so we need to get this we are not without blemish but the wisdom of God that we who are believers possess is pure and when we practice his wisdom we are used by him to show who he is to the world. We're also transformed in the practicing of that kind of wisdom. When we respond instead of react to a family member or a coworker or somebody else in our life in a way that, that reveals some of these other uh, marks that we're going to talk about, it's in a way that's pure, unblemished. That's God's wisdom. Secondly, God's wisdom is, is peaceable. I want you to see that purity is first and, and peaceable is second. So in other words, if you compromise God's purity in the name of peace, if you are willing to cut corners off of the word of God and say, I'm going to do that to make peace, you're, you're, you're not acting in godly wisdom. And what you're left with is not really, truly 
peace because it's based on something that's not accurate to God's word. On the other hand, if you're unloving to people, if you assert truth in a way that desires to win the day as opposed to speaking truth with humility, then you're not displaying godly wisdom. You pursue peace with the truth of God's word. This is godly wisdom. Thirdly, God's wisdom is is gentle. Here's the thing about gentleness. This is why we preach the gospel to ourselves daily. This is why we share share with ourselves every day, we remind ourselves of what God has done for us, that we were dead in sin, dead in sin. We sang a while ago, All I Have is Christ, one of my favorite songs. We were running away from God and he ran after us. And he had no uh, obligation to do that. But he did. And we need to remind ourselves of this. This is a good reason why. This is why we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Even continually in the days. Gentleness requires us to reflect deeply and continually on what Christ has done for us in such a way that it affects the way that we talk with other people, that we relate to other people, that we um, passionately, for the cause of Christ, want to speak truth into other people's lives. Gentleness sees the rightness of justice, but it also sees the patience of Jesus toward our own souls. I mean, do you stop and think about that often? I don't know about you, but when when I think about Christ's patience toward me, I'm overwhelmed. And so when I dwell on that, it's going to affect my gentleness toward others. All too often, people remember how you treat them in a deeper way than, than how much you knew when you talked to them. So gentleness. Well, the fourth mark of, of godly wisdom is godly wisdom, God's wisdom is reasonable. This word literally means easily persuaded. And we would think, well, that's not really a good thing, easily persuaded. But don't misunderstand. This doesn't mean the the, the wise person doesn't have conviction or the wise person is is gullible to to things, to, to untruths. But what it does mean is that you're truly willing to listen, to sit down and listen to what someone else is saying, to Look at scripture to to step out of your own perspective and into another person's perspective. And that's a biggie. That's a biggie for for how we relate to the lost world, how we relate to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, part of the the atoning work, the the work of Jesus Christ is that when, when he came, when we look at scripture, we say that there's no temptation that we will face that he is not familiar with. Well, why is that? He chose to step out of heaven and into our perspective. And so if we are going to be Christians, if we're going to be little Christ, we've got to be reasonable people when we reflect in that we are willing to step out of our own perspective Never compromise on truth, but step out of our own perspective and look at things from someone else's perspective. So God's wisdom is reasonable. 
Fifthly, God's wisdom is, is full of mercy and good fruits. This is another reason we should preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We, we are reminding ourselves of how much mercy God has shown to us in Jesus Christ. And listen, just like gentleness, we're, we're reflecting that on ourselves and then that is what's coming out of us through wisdom. Mercy is not only for the suffering, but for the one who is suffering because of their own sin. That's the kind of mercy that, that Christ has shown us. He showed us mercy when our suffering is because of our own sin. Romans 5.8 tells us, it reminds us, that God commends his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He showed us mercy. And so here's the thing. All too often, we, we, we get really theological. We, we segment intellectual Christianity from our daily life. We acquire more knowledge. We become uh, receptors of God's grace instead of conduits of God's grace. And that's what we're called to be. God's wisdom is full of mercy. And so when we do that, it takes us out of the will of God. Here's the deal. No matter how good your teaching or your Bible study or your theology is, no matter what your library looks like, no matter what you have taken in, if you don't actively care about people in need, people who are in physically, physical need, in spiritual need, people who are hurting, then something is wrong with your wisdom. That's the truth because God's wisdom is going to be full of mercy and good fruits. And then we see that, that God's wisdom is, is unwavering. It's unwavering. The way that James puts it is, is impartial, but this is what that word means. It's unwavering. You, you know those oscillating fans that you sit down and you turn on and it moves back and forth and back and forth. Sometimes people tend to, to be that way as believers. They tend to listen to whatever is the flavor of the day, whatever seems to compel them the most, whatever tickles their ear the most. God's wisdom is unwavering. Have you ever known someone who, if you want to know what they think about something, then what you need to do is to find out the last person they talked to? And that, that, that's what, because they're, they're wavering, they're blowing in the wind. God's wisdom is, is unwavering. Unwavering means that, that the oscillating fan, the pins pushed down in, and it's locked in on God and his word and how he has revealed himself and what he says about things. Now, here's the thing. God gives us principles in his word. I want to stop and say this here. Um, there's no chapter in the Pauline epistles about how to manage your cell phone. I talked about those earlier. There's not. But God gives us biblical principles. And so we, we need to subject ourselves to those things. Uh, and he, will, he gives us wisdom to know how to approach situations. You remember the story about Solomon? When the, the, the prostitute approached Solomon who had had the baby. And she said that this other woman has stolen my baby. We live in the same house, and I had a baby. Three days later, she had a baby. She accidentally killed her child, but then she took mine and put hers by me, and now she's saying that she, she pulled the switcheroo on me, right? 
Which baby is whose? Do you remember what Solomon did? He applied some wisdom to that situation. He knew the love of a mother. The thing is this. When we're... The phrase that our youth heard at camp, most of all, if I got them to say it, and they probably won't say it out loud, is read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. And our speaker, Kevin Jones, what he was really driving home to our students was to immerse ourselves in God's big story, all of what God is saying that points us to Christ. And so what happens in the Christian's life is you don't know the situation that's coming this week where you're going to have to show some unwavering faith and wisdom in what you say, but God does. And when, you're immersed, when you immerse yourself in his word, you're going to have the wisdom that you need. It's going to be practical. So God's wisdom is unwavering. Uh, eighthly, God's wisdom is sincere. Sincere. Do you know where the word uh, hypocrite comes from? The word hypocrite comes from, in the Hellenistic culture, uh, it comes from when they did plays, the, the actor would walk out and would have a mask and would talk, would accentuate their voice where it didn't sound like their voice, would act, would pretend to be something that they weren't. And so many times people are tempted, even believers are tempted to uh, go along with things in a conversation when that's not really what they feel in their heart. What, what, what James is saying here is to be sincere. Don't wear a mask. Be who you are. Don't shrink back from the truth. Speak the truth in love, but, but don't pretend to be something you're not. Don't flatter people. Don't seek to gain the favor of men by acting like something you're, you're not. Often this means saying hard things to people based on Scripture rather than agreeing with them in order to gain favor. And so here's what I want us to see about wisdom today. Jesus Christ is wisdom embodied perfectly. Jesus' wisdom was not merely intellectual or theological. I mean, we have these wonderful sayings and teachings from Jesus Christ in the Gospels. But can you imagine, can you imagine if you open up your New Testament and what you had was the Sermon on the Mount or uh, those wonderful teachings in John chapter 14, 15, see all, all along in there. Some of those wonderful things Jesus said, but you didn't say anything that Jesus was doing. He was just a wise sage, right? Well, is that really wisdom? No. God's wisdom acts. It does things. See, Jesus... He had to go through Samaria. He had to sit with someone who was at the low end of the totem pole and have the conversation with her. He had to do things. He had to reach people who were hurting and heal them, do things. His wisdom was practical. It was lived out. Jesus had to step into the lives of the helpless. Jesus, ultimately, he had to lay down his life. And he calls us to nothing less than that. We give our lives to him, which means we are about this ministry of reconciliation. We are about the ministry of re reconciliation and of peace through Christ. Peace with God, peace with one another, 
and peace on display for the world, for our city to see, for the glory of God. So here's the question today. Does your life demonstrate God's wisdom? If the answer is no, not, not at all, my word to you today is, is not, oh, here, here's the bullseye. You need to try harder to do these things. No, if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, if you've not in faith committed your life through Christ, trying harder will not be the answer. You'd be trying to use something that you don't have. See, godly wisdom, godly wisdom is a gift from God for those who repent and put their faith in Jesus. The Jesus who suffered and died, a substitutionary atoning sacrifice. The Jesus who rose from the grave. But that question, does your life demonstrate God's wisdom? If your answer is yes, but sometimes not very well. I'm inconsistent. Then my word to you would be to confess your sin. Confess any of those ungodly wisdom, those false wisdom attributes that you might be displaying in your life. Confess it to God. Put it before him and ask him for forgiveness. Search yourself for any area of your life that's not faithfully submitted to him. And then actively, consciously, listen to me, practice the wisdom of God. Don't wait for the crisis situation. Don't be a passive Christian. Actively and consciously practice the wisdom of God. Speak his life-saving words into people's lives. Have you ever had this to happen? You sit down with a conversation with somebody and you know it's going to be a tense conversation and there's been disagreement and you're ready for it. You've got all your defenses lined up. And then something like this happens. The person says, listen, I just want you to know that I love you and I want to pray for you right now before we start this conversation. And all of your defenses are knocked out from under you. Are you using that kind of wisdom in the relationships in your life? It's a heavy question. Those are the things that we should be practicing in big ways and in small ways every day. I, I saw this, this week a couple of days ago a 15-year-old tennis player, a young lady. <laughs> She's younger than half the kids in our youth group and she was playing on the biggest tennis stage in the world center court at Wimbledon everybody in the tennis world is watching her and she's playing a world class opponent and she was receiving a serve and the serve came to her to her back end it was a hard serve about 120 miles an hour it came into her body just real, something really hard to do anything with and she blocked that serve right back up the line and it was this much inside the sideline this much in the baseline perfect shot winner right up the line this conversation ensued between the commentators after this it's like that was a great shot did she really mean to do that or was that just luck well her response was the come on you know as if she meant to do it I don't know this is what I know 
What enabled her to even have a chance of, in that, if you want to call it crisis moment, of, of hitting that shot that way was because she had practiced the fundamentals of that particular stroke over and over and over. You and I are given fundamentals of the faith of how to selflessly love people. And if we don't intentionally practice those every day of our lives, when, then when those crisis moments come that we didn't see coming, we're not going to be ready. But if we do practice them, then you know what's ha- going to happen? It's just like what happened with this girl. <laughs> she got squeezed in that moment. When she got squeezed, what was inside of her, what she had practiced over and over came out. When you and I intentionally show the love of Christ, then when the tough situations of life come, when we're attacked in an unprovoked way sometimes, when when we're treated unjustly, then you know what's going to come out of us? What came out of Jesus when he was attacked, when he was treated unjustly? Selfless love. So... Are you practicing the skill, the skill, the gift of wisdom? And listen, I have no doubt that some of us may be hurting over strange, seemingly broken relationships. And it, it seems that things in our lives happen like these California earthquakes. They don't come in equal increments. They, they kind of pile up. And you may be, you may feel like life has just piled up on you. You've been hit pretty hard lately. This would be my encouragement to you. You you look at a text like this and you say, you know, not only have I been hit hard, I've probably mishandled some situations. I've not used wisdom in the words that I've spoken and what I've done and what I haven't done. How do I make all that right? Don't be overwhelmed by that. It's what I would say to you, dude. Start somewhere. It may be in your home with a relationship that's been damaged. Or it may be over a break time conversation or it may be in the moments between the time we say our closing prayer and the time we leave today. In a moment, we're going to come to this table and we're going to remember Christ. We're going to remember his body broken and his blood shed for us. And this is a table that's for believers. So if you're a believer but you're not a member of Trace, we invite you to participate today. But... If you're still considering Jesus, I would just say to you, turn to him today. Turn to him. And receive the gift not only of salvation, but of his wisdom. And the Holy Spirit to guide you in using that wisdom. This table is about reconciliation to God that only comes, that only comes through Christ. And true peace that is brought about by his just sacrifice that causes those who place their faith in him to be found just before a holy God. And that relationship with Jesus gives us this, this wonderful gift of wisdom, the gift of real peace and, and reconciliation. Not only with God, not only with God, but with one another. Do you realize that? We can't have real peace with one another without the blood of Jesus. And yet we can because of that gift. Do we see how precious that is? Jesus, and then also John, they tell us that we'll be known by our 
our love for one another and this, this perfect wisdom from above is the, the skill, if you will, by which we, we love one another. We don't just have a feeling. We don't just talk about theological thoughts. We act and speak encouragement and do for one another. And the world sees the Jesus that lives within us. Thank God for sending us reconciliation and peace. Thank God for sending us wisdom to us in the person of Jesus 